morning internet hey internet hey world welcome to muckland and saturday morning chill we got a short show for you this morning unfortunately due to the moving of the show to an official start time of 8 30 a.m on saturday mornings look at all that white light how terrible looking is that i'm sorry internet you will have to be distracted with my ocd for just a moment let's adjust this does that help no that doesn't help still so bright that's all right gonna have to deal with it uh, with the adjustment to the 8.30 a.m. start time, I neglected to adjust a certain calendar scheduling software tool that I use locally to enable my church members to be able to meet with me whenever they would like to. And uh, as a result, there's a meeting this morning during the show time. So, uh, unable to get an earlier show going, we're going to be doing just about an hour this morning. Um, now, now, this is interesting to me. We have some likes... But no comments. Oh, you are watching. There you go. Just double checking. You know how I can make those mistakes with such glorious regularity. Um, and I wonder how I can get this white down. If I did this, would that help? Oh, that helps. There we go. All right. So uh, let's see. Super Chat, of course, is on. we got about an hour and five minutes here together, probably before I have to book out. Without Flesh has come out. It's doing well. It's the top of new Lutheranism at Amazon.com. But believe it or not, that's worse than Echo was doing. Echo was the top of Lutheranism at Amazon.com, which, uh, you know, is right up there fighting against Francis Jonah's Healing Prayer Warrior series. Um, so I, I don't know what that means for how far it's really getting, but what I love is I've been hearing from some of you out there about what it's doing for you, about how it's impacting you. This has inspired me to pay a little more attention to the book. Uh, and wh what do I mean by that? Well, when you publish a book with a publishing house, at least when you do it with CPH, you basically hand them a finished manuscript, more or less, an hour, a year to a year point two five before the book's going to be released. Now, I don't know if you can like think back to something you were working on really hard a year and a quarter ago, but that you haven't really touched since, and how much you remember of that. But with a book, what happens is you know the idea. You you know the big thing, but in terms of what you actually said, you got no clue what you actually said. Uh, and so when you go back and you read it, there will be turns of phrases that you maybe worked on. I mean, major, major points and things like that. But there's going to be all sorts of stuff. You're like, wow, I don't remember writing that. That's kind of terrible, <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of thing. So so what's been fun is how your commentary and snippets and whatnot of what you like, whether you're sharing it on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, or wherever, and I don't see as much on Facebook, but uh, wherever you're sharing it, when it comes back to me and I hear about the piece that you really found valuable or what you're using it for, that means a lot to me. But then secondarily, when I get to reread that piece, that also means a lot because I get to benefit from this, this theology, this knowledge of God that, yeah, sure, I wrote it, but I need it as much as anybody else does. Uh, more, I guess, you know, chief of sinners, though, I'd be and all that. Like I, I'm, I'm writing the book in some ways because it's my own personal battle to cling to the faith. Yeah. Uh, and so. So it's encouraging to me, and I want to thank you for that. As the book does do well, I encourage you, if you would, buy it. If not, buy Echo. Of course, you missed the promotional time on that. If not, sign up for the newsletter, because this thing is really continuing to morph into something cool. And my um, uh, my dark agent team has said to me, you know, wow, Pastor Fisk, you know, it, we're, we're really up in our subscriptions. We had 80 new subscriptions in the last whatever amount of time she checks to see how often they're checking, you know, whatever prescription or uh, prescriptions, subscriptions. So we're, it's more than we used to get on that track. Right. Okay. And so she said, well, it's the announcements on, on uh, Saturday morning show. Like, no, no, no dark agent. It's your good work. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's a good newsletter. Uh, so uh, get onto that. You're getting a little bit of theology from me every week. Uh, this coming Monday, you're going to have things like a uh, personal wreck of a uh, great backpack, uh, you're going to have things, of course, dealing with the news, airplanes and viruses and all that kind of stuff. But you get a Lenten meditation. You get a Lenten prayer, uh, some fiction if you want to mess with that. I still got to get that one done for Monday. So uh, Mad Mondays, you can get it at repfist.com. Click on newsletter or uh, in the links below here. Oh, yeah, that's enough advertisements for a short show. We don't need to do any more of this garbage. OK, so um, let's see my thoughts. We're going to skip my thoughts for a second and we're going to skip. Oh, no, it's a good one. Oh, crud, but it's not been removed of its stuff yet. Oh, you can't see it. That's wonderful. All right, so here we go. This is one I want to just get out there, one of your question, comments, answers, all that kind of stuff coming through the contact page at revvis.com. Um, this is uh, one that came through, 
And I don't know if it's true, but if it is, it means I'm wrong. And so I want to like, like, okay, cool. This is absolutely something I am willing to acknowledge and look at. So uh, let's see. I'm going to go ahead and delete just a couple pieces right here and do this. And then we're going to do our magic thing that always messes up the auto. Oh, no. The autofocus. Where is it? Where is it? Right there. Don't allow it to do its thing. There we go. So now you can see. Uh, he writes, you mentioned in an earlier video how having women's ordination leads to anti-Trinitarian heresy. May I ask why then are the Assemblies of God, the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world, still Trinitarian? They have had women pastors since the 1920s. Um, so let me let me clarify a little bit here on, on this for you. And I'm certainly willing to recant my statement to amend an exception to the general rule that once you have women's... Oh, that was that was wrong. Camera, come now, camera. It's that that we want, and then that that we want. Once you have women's ordination in the church body, it's only a matter of time until you do have anti-Trinitarian theology, knowing of God, rejection of the God who is known through the Trinity. You have that being allowed. Now, does me saying that mean that, that their official position has become anti-Trinitarian? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that they don't silence those who have become that way. That at a certain point, women's ordination is the the doorway to the wide exception of everybody's opinions valid, no matter what, on any issue, theologically. It's spiritual. It's not real, <laughs> right? So whatever you think. Uh, and once that happens, you will inevitably be allowing for anti-Trinitarian thought, verbiage, and systems. Um, in fact, I would claim, sorry, uh, you are, if you are in fact a charismatic Pentecostal viewing the spirit as active apart from the word, you are on the verge of Trinitarian heresy to begin with. Verge of it. You're not necessarily there, but you have all the pieces to be there if you want to do the math. You're just inconsistent with your own stuff. <laughs> you know, the Mormons make a lot more sense when they call the spirit just a, a or the Jehovah's Witnesses, when they call the, the spirit just a power. Right. Like that, that's kind of where you're at with it, as opposed to a person um, who's not Jesus. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to get into the rabbit trail of trying to get what charismatics actually believe on paper where they can all agree with it, because the history of charismaticism is that that's the problem. None of it's on paper and it's all whatever that guy said God told him yesterday. So so anyhow, I will recant. Okay, I recant, but I, I, I'm going to say, I bet you if someone goes and spends three hours digging on um, just Google, you can find Assemblies of God pastors teaching against the Trinity, professors, pastors somewhere, and they're not being reprimanded. Now, my church body, we got problems. We got people who do stuff against what we believe all the time, but the Trinity, I haven't run into that one yet. Um well, actually, one prof, but he's not here anymore. <laughs> um, he did finally uh, get moved, and he was never loud about it. It wasn't so. I'd, I'd be very curious to see this because this is where it is, and it's it's not it's not just that you're teaching it, but when you are communing with the one who does, which is what a church body, sacramentally understood, would imply, right? Um, well, then you are de facto affirming that teaching. This is why communion at an altar that is in agreement with you is, is, is important. You're saying, yes, I believe whatever that guy said, you know, and, and, and to come to communion with someone else. I mean, close communion is its own topic. We've talked about it a little bit here. It's really challenging because it, first off, the phrase is terrible, closed communion. I mean, it's just a terrible phrase. And then we think this is somehow just about protecting the outsider. Uh, from getting hurt by the supper. And there's some truth to this, but really the, the issue is about congregational unity and dynamics. It's about what we know and what we preach. What do we hold our preacher accountable to? You think the preacher is the answer? There's a man, he's not the answer. He's supposed to speak certain words. And so how do you know what those words are and how do you agree with them? And what's the, what's the visible sign that you do? Circumcision. Right. Uh, I mean, baptism is within the supper is the regular ongoing acclamation of the death and resurrection of Christ. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine in the Lord's name, you proclaim his death until he comes again. So it's, it's, it's a matter of saying something to the world out loud. So if you're going to do that, you're going to say, I'm going to go up and eat this bread that doesn't mean anything with this guy who doesn't believe in the same God I do. But we're going to say we have the same Holy Spirit. 
I'm not sure that doesn't count for my side of the argument. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but totally, if, 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 if what I said was as church bodies, you're officially teaching this stuff. No, that's not my point. My point is you stop defending. You stop defending. Now, I, I still might be really wrong in this because I do not have intimate working knowledge of every one of the, what, 4,000, 8,000 plus church bodies in America. <laughs> a new one started last week in California. Uh, a new, it's probably more than that. Number of religions started in the world per capita, most. You betcha. Cali, you got it. What a state. What a state. It's like Illinois, only with beaches and mountains. Which sounds awesome, except for the being like Illinois part. Hey, Rockford, how you doing? <laughs> I love Rockford. I had an inkling this week. I should, oh, I should super chat you. Look at this. Look at, I'm going to talk about Rockford, though. Look at the, oh, wait. Hold on. Ah, for Pete's sake, I don't even know my own computer. There we go. Look at this. Brian Wolfmuller mocking me. Mocking me. Absolutely. Hold on. I was, I was blurry that whole time too. Jeez. Thank you, Brian. Super chat. 20 bucks. Look at this guy. He, he goes to Austin, Texas, where it's warm in February and is right next door to Evernote, which I find very interesting. And, you know, Tim Ferriss lives in this city, all this kind of stuff. He's got them building him studios. And what does he do? He throws Fisk in his closet. $20. Pick it up, Fisk. Pick it up. Pick it up, Fisk. Oh, I love you, Brian. Thank you so much for the super chat. I do appreciate it. I got one here from from one of y'all real viewers. Brian's not unreal, but Brian, do you watch me every week? Didn't think so. Okay, so Conan the Destroyer, obviously a fan. You know, I can't wait till Chuck Norris shows up. My fans, Conan and Chuck, they're great. Um, uh, uh, he, he says, uh, shout out from the Wells contingent of Rev Fisk fandom. Thank you, Wells contingent. I am still hungry for some real conversation between us. So speaking of which, Rockford, look at that. What a fascinating little town Rockford is. Um, here, here's what I want you to know about Rockford. I had an inkling this week to start a podcast. Uh-oh, Fisk, stop it. I know, I know, I did. It's on a piece of paper. It's not, it's not done yet. I want to start a podcast just for Rockford. This town, this town is so fascinating and it's so awesome and it's so not. It's so, it's so trapped in its own self-loathing that it can't see how cool it could be here. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Illinois' progressive identities. Just saying, just saying, just saying. <laughs> Cowboy of Rockford, you need some country, you need some country. Okay, so uh, with, with that said, now, hold on, hold on. Ah, Yes. I'm going to come into the chats here a little bit more and get to your questions, especially because it's a short show. So if you got questions, throw them out over there rather than going back to internet, uh, internet, back to Evernote and all of the contact requests that come in. However, oh, goodness gracious, your contact requests are getting so good. Now, I, I, you are amazing at asking questions. I keep going with this stuff on the fuel of you asking me questions that I know the answer to. And so I'm like, well, here's the answer. Okay, so there's that. But you have begun, it's not all of you, but some of you, you have begun um, what I can only call a, 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 um, an intellectual repartee uh, within these, these comments coming through you, uh, through refis.com slash contact. And some of you have written them, they're just so good that I'm going to publish them now as part of the newsletter, as a viewer comment of the week. And it's not a comment. Like this is the one that's coming out and the one that for next week already, um, you're thinking so far is wonderful. I want to share it with the world. So that's great. That's number one positive about comments, um, uh, questions, comments coming through. Uh, negative is this. And if, if, uh, if you ever find my real email address and send me an email, I don't know. I feel really bad about this, but you're going to find, you're going to find this. Uh, I am discovering now you are, you are so amazingly curious about my thoughts on a matter that it is beginning to scale. Is that the right, the way it should go? It should go this way. It's beginning to scale this way where Fisk's ability to read and number of emails coming in is beginning to, to pinnacle out. So I'm bringing in the shadow broker and the dark agent team a little bit here to help me see everything you send because we want to get your, you got these great comments. We want to get them coming back. We want to get them on the show, all that kind of thing. But I've got to tell you publicly at a certain point, I just can't read everything. Um, so just so you know that, don't stop, send more, <laughs> right? Send more. 
Um, I also always suggest, of course, talk to your pastors about these things because uh, if you're wanting a specific answer on a narrow question, your pastor is your is your local resource and he's there for you. Part of the reason why I can't read more emails is I have people here that it's my primary vocation to care for, right? Um, so that's that's part of where that is as well. Um, Kona, we're going to say goodbye again. Thank you for the, the shout out. Um, so, 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 so. Keep the emails coming. This morning, I want to talk about your chats. If you have questions, put them there. And I have this other thought that crossed my mind that I really want to share with you after I take a sip of my now lukewarm espresso. Oh, you see Arnold? Arnold's glaring at me at the back. He knows better than I do. Wow, man, he's so smart. All right. All right. I realized maybe just a week ago um, that I've been treating my personal goals exactly the same as if they were moral commandments for me. Not for you, for me. Right, so let's say I have a list, I have a whole list of books I would like to write. I've talked about this before. I've got at least 12 fiction, like world ideas on there. And I've got probably, um, I'd say 25 or more uh, theological, knowing God, devotional, spirituality, whatever you call it, Christian possible works that I think are necessary. I think these are required for our present age. Okay, so so what is that? 37 books. Okay. It's a big list of stuff. You know how long it takes to write a book, a real one, for good? Like an actual crafted book that'll last? Yeah, you're looking at um, your work minimum a year and then uh, publisher work a year and a half or more if you include speaking and teaching on it or promoting it in any way. Three years. Two to three years per book, generally speaking. If you can maintain more than that over a long haul, you are a stud, okay? Um, or studette, as the case may be. I know, in our day and age, who knows? So, um, with that said, then, so imagine now taking that, just let's forget the fiction, which only is like my life's dream. Put that aside for a second, right? And instead, just take like 25 theological works that you think the world needs right now that you've decided have to happen somehow. That's one list you've got. Now, the difference between that being a goal and a moral law in your conscience is a pretty significant one if you start to think about it that way. Now, now what I want to ask you is this. What I want to ask you is whenever you tell yourself you should do something every day, whether you write it down, you put it on your to-do list, whether you put it for next week in your day planner, I don't care what, right? When it says should, and then there's another should, another I'd like to, another maybe we could, and then this, and then this, and you get this pile of things that you want to see happen. How much of that is, oh, yeah, this is my goals. It's fine. No big deal. Or how much of that is, I can't do it all because it's a law to you now. Right? So that's where I am in my own wrestling with Americanism, coming to terms as a Christian with my having been born in Babylonian America, right? And, and what, what we worship here, uh, and there's a number of things we worship here, evidently the earth is making a strong comeback these days. But uh, one of the other things we worship here is the clock. Uh, we, we worship engineering. We worship science. Uh, we, we worship the ability to make good use of time and knowledge, Right? Right. And so it is only understandable and normal for the average educated American to consider goal setting and goal completion a valid justifying identity mark on your life. If you say you're going to do it, you get it done. You're a good person. If you don't get it done, you're a bad person. Right. Conscience involved now in a law that has been instituted as an assumption within the wider culture. It's immoral of the wider culture. Good people get stuff done. Bad people don't. And then you are setting goals to be a good person and you find out, oh, it doesn't matter what measure you use, Ten Commandments or otherwise, it cuts like a knife, don't it? Yeah, it cuts right, right into your heart. Now, don't think you're going to escape this. Go read Broken for pity's sakes. This is never going away. You will make new versions of this out of anything you find in order to attack yourself. That's why the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, is so darn important to have in your life. Because He fights for you, against you on this matter, and then makes you fight against you on this matter too, so you can actually look at something like personal goals versus moral laws 
and realize that your real problem is you want to be God and you can't stand it when what you think should happen doesn't happen. That's the real problem. And that personal goals, can I do it? Personal goals are in fact vanity, which is in fact ambition as dust. You want to be more than dust. And the funny thing is, is that, oh, can I draw? No, I can't. That is the worst cross possible. <laughs> I'm not kidding. If you can't see it, I'm not kidding. But when vanity is put on the cross, our Lord hanging there on our behalf, now, personal goals just become gifts of possibility. Hold on. Hold on. I got to write it out. Gifts of possibility with no bearing on reality. Other than that, God might give them to you. And so pick one and see if he does. And if he doesn't, it's not a moral failing on your part. God wanted to give you something different today. How much more life would you experience if that's how you handled today? You could have your goal list and then you have the belief that God's going to give you today what God thinks you need today. And he wants your goal list, but he doesn't want you to worship it. That's not his Ten Commandments. Oh my goodness, this reminds me of something completely different. One screenshot. There you go. Ah! Okay, meme it. Um, that reminds me of something completely different. Oh, did I lose it in the meme? I might have lost it in the meme. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I was pondering a thought the other day. It was this one. Like, if I met an alien, and the alien came and said to me, Hi, how are you? Tell me what you know. And I'm like, I'm a guy that has a god. And this god made the universe and stuff. And he's like, okay, cool. So how do you know about this god? What do you know? And I say, well, this god talked to us, and he left us some important things. I say, okay, cool. So what are the important things he gave you? Well, um, he gave us these things. They're called the Ten Commandments. They're kind of cool and all. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. So I'm, I'm here at your, your church. Where are they? And I'm like, what do you mean, where are they? They're the Ten Commandments. Okay, so where are they? Well, um, I, can, I can tell you about them. Okay, I'm the pastor. Okay, yeah, right. uh, luckily I'm the pastor and I know all ten of them, right? Um, but, but otherwise, you know, I guess I could go to the hymnal. They're in the back of the hymnal. I can get you this book, The Catechism. Okay, fine. Yeah, sure. So where are they? What I see on the wall is this thing is like, you know, he will bear you up on the vision of the eagle's wings and happiness forever and with a little house on a prairie and stuff. And in like, <laughs> sorry, uh, don't, don't take that too personally. Take that personally. Ah, third day after, worst day. Worst day was Ash Wednesday. Getting better, but ew, awful, yuck. If you ever have a wife and she's sick, don't kiss her. Um, don't let her kiss you. It's a trap. Um, I got a super chat from Sarah. Thank you. Oh, I can't even get you in there. Sarah, thank you for distracting me from my story. It was unfinished. It was unfinished, but we're going to get there. Um, I appreciate the support. Absolutely. Um, so the alien is now like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God gave you Ten Commandments and you haven't put them on your wall? Are you mad? Now think about that. For just, just, just think about that for a second here. The Holy God who made heaven and earth made Ten Commandments and we don't have them anywhere. When the atheists are trying to get them out of the Supreme Court, did they succeed? I can't remember. I don't care. I mean, I do. But I, 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 wait a minute. We took them out of our own buildings. Sorry, I'm a little frustrated about that. I'm no good. Don't think I'm good. I'm no good on that. I try to say them once a day now. It's hard enough. But God gave you Ten Commandments? And they're not on your wall? Are you kidding me? Why aren't they on our wall? 
Ten Commandments. Do you have a God? Do you know what God is? The Old Testament must be getting to me. Because this fire God thing, if you're watching my sermons, you know I keep calling God the fire God. But, like, they're walking around with a fire God. He's, he's a cloud God, too. Glory God, I don't know. Our God is a consuming fire. I mean, it's right there in Scripture, right? He dwells in approachable light. I don't know what that means, but I know that when you were a human being standing there among 600,000 whatever-odd people in the desert with this booming fire guy saying, into the wilderness, you're all going to die there. Wow. Oh, by the way, here's the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Try not to do what these say don't do. I don't, you know, I don't know. Are we cavalier? I think I'm too cavalier with my religion. That's what I think. And I am, although I did go to Concordia, Portland, and was thereby a cavalier. Um, <laughs> and do not cheer for Cleveland before or after the era of LeBron. Um, being cavalier in the Lord's army, uh, you know what cavalier means, right? I mean, there's the cavalry. So there's the old way, but now that word, it, it, it means that you are doing it your way. You're rogue in all the wrong ways. Yeah, Maverick, right, Maverick. Feel the need for speed. And the Iceman, well, dude, Val Kilmer rocked in that movie. Anyhow, number two, number two, we shifted hard. If you didn't follow me, we're going from like pure 1980s top level movie to a reboot with Tom Cruise. I mean, the dude's still kind of amazingly talented. I don't know what he's doing. But anyhow, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. So what do we see here in the sides? Do we have some things from you? Is that we can talk? Christian rap. You know what? I decided I want to be a rapper like years ago. I don't think I can do it, though. But I want to. It's one of the many good ideas that's going to go in my new garbage pill of good ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm making one of those. Uh, Jordan says, I heard the reason the courts have the Ten Commandments was a promotion of the 50s for the... <laughs> that might be. Uh, <clears throat> they are in Western civilization, like one of the foundational documents of law as an idea, along with the Code of Hammurabi, which is, is fairly useful <laughs> um, for, for just like law. Dude, okay, so check this out. I live in Rockford. We are... A town that is the last stop of Chicago before Iowa. Like that's sort of what we do. And we're so good at it that all of our freeways go around us to get you past us to Chicago, excuse me, to, to, to Iowa from Chicago or to Madison from Chicago. That, that's Rockford. It's their own fault. They did it themselves. They avoided the freeway in the, in the, uh, whenever it was coming through, they made some really weird decisions to let. The whole state dump all the poverty up here. Bet it could. Uh, so now we've got this baggage of, of welfare state to carry up here, and just and people without don't want jobs. Um, so you know, that's yay Rockford. Okay, wait, there was a reason for this. How do we get into this? Oh shoot, Rockford's so good. We're the last stop. We're the last stop, and. For that reason, being on a, the, the river that runs through the town. Um, it really has div <laughs> divided the town uh, into it, it didn't used to be this way. It used to be that the west side was a very thriving center to the area. It stopped being that and it is increasingly, increasingly third world. The downtown still is safe ish. Um, but the and, and there are there are pockets of I mean the, the, the nicest the nicest street in town is west side, west side Riverside. Um, but, but it's increasing third world ish. And the question that I keep, I mean, the roads are just a disaster. People run red lights. I mean, it's just, there's, there's crack and heroin on the streets and uh, there's not a lot else. I mean, there's, there are two grocery stores, a Walmart far North outside of town and a, uh, Hispanic place. I don't know it. It's large, but far South outside of town. Like there is no food. The last schnooks was closed and taken away. There was politics involved. I don't know. My point is this. I don't think Rockford's alone. I think Rockford's one of many places in America that are looking a lot like this. It has to do with 
uh, bad monetary policy. It has to do with overreach of government and the inability of man to manage anything, especially on a large level, without taking a piece for himself. And blah, blah, blah. The long end of this is a gradual slip into lawlessness encouraged by a culture that actually teaches a postmodern ethic of virtue, uh, moral uh, contextuality. And whether the average person on the street knows that or not, they're certainly being impacted by it, and they're going to make decisions based on what they think is good for them. That's why you see all these weird stuff on daytime TV, right? I mean, they're just, they're just unleashed from any virtue whatsoever. So what happens, Rockford, when that starts to really hit the streets around here? What happens if we actually get lawless? You know, I just ask. Because I want a civilization of virtue. I want a civilization where I don't need to worry about protecting myself on the street. And frankly, that's just not the case in a lot of our city already. Well, what's the answer? I think the answer is Christianity. That's what I think. I think the answer is Christianity is virtue. I think it's not, it's, it's not uh, backing down to the evil and the lies. I stand up, right? And part of that means them being protective of that, which is good. You got to protect your streets. So anyhow, uh, you know, I, this is all coming out of lawlessness. And I just don't think we realize how close we are as a, as a nation to unhinged lawlessness. And what that means is not road warrior on the freeway, you know, coming across the 70. What I mean is you're going to find pockets of the wild west in and across United States. Some of them already, they've existed in some ways for a while, right? So the, the, the Bloods Crips War in LA that's gone on since the 80s, that's a whole Wild West pocket of lawlessness in the middle of the city. Philadelphia, there are certain areas now that, now this is hearsay from when I was there, it was 10 years ago when I was there, but I saw with my eyeballs what Islam was doing to some of the worst neighborhoods down there and they were making it better. And what I heard was that they were on the streets. Like, you know, you got your dealer on one corner and across the way you got your Islamic rep sitting there or going through once a day or whatever. And it's like my corner, your corner. This is our block. That's your block. Stay out. And it's safe Er, where the Muslims took over the streets. And so, Christians, I hear people talk about neighborhoods a whole lot. I've been thinking about this one a whole lot. Anyway, this is very local, but I think it applies. I think it applies. What's your city actually need? Why aren't Christians, like, why are we so concerned with our houses? I mean, I'm concerned with mine too, but we're so concerned with our houses, we're not so concerned with our towns. We're so busy driving to and fro and doing whatever we think America needs us to do to have the American life that while the civilization itself is collapsing around us, we're not seeing the opportunities we have to actually build communities again to build civilization that can endure what's coming and what's coming is going to be a virtuous somewhat lawless system now a strong man will always arise so whether that's the american government or otherwise there always be some form of street law but like without virtue all that's there is the protection of somebody with a bigger gun so the answer is either we all have more guns or we get some virtue <laughs> <laughs> we get some conscience and conviction about stuff, about how we treat each other. You know, keep your laws off my body. Okay, fine. So what? You're allowed to kill me? What about my body? Now, at, what, at what point does does me keeping my laws off your body I'll give you the freedom to trample my rights? Right. So virtue and reason and conversation is the only places it can happen. Yeah. I gotta check the time. Gotta check the time. All right, we're doing we're doing fine. So. So it's just, it's just been on my head, you know? It's like, it's like, and it connects to that goals and morality thing a little bit. So that, because I think part of why we're always running so hard is we're chasing these goals that we've made laws that we need our, that to justify ourselves with and we can't let go of them. We can't let the goal die. We can't be frail dust that can only do a couple of things great in a week or a life. And so we're chasing these stories, these movies about our lives in our heads that we, we think have to happen. And right in front of us is something we could actually do together, but we'd have to have a little bit of space to think about it and look at it, you know? I don't know. And pastors have a luxury in that regard? Like, we're kind of called to do that? Um, 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe more to come on that. What's going on on the side here again? Uh, does anyone, George, just the office says, does anyone accept pastors and local politicians think in terms of towns and communities anymore? Um, probably not, but this is where like, we need to bad. I see more people making their own communities based on shared activities as long as they have a car. Right. That works great if you don't believe in the environmental issues. It's crazy to me that the people who believe in the environmental issues on like a religious zealot level, like we're not allowed to question it at all, which I think you should be allowed to question it. I'd like to see more proof myself. But uh, you know, it, 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 those who are on that level, they're still driving cars. Like, stop. <laughs> what are you doing? You think it's going to end in 12 years? Stop driving your car. <laughs> you know, oh, it's a necessary evil in order for me. Okay, what about the iPod, right? Turn off. Stop using energy. Go live in a dirt hut. Like, if you really think that. Anyway, I, my, my point is, my point is, here, uh, having a car is a rather powerful assumption. Think about it. Put yourself, just just go crazy for a second here. I'm not claiming any of this is happening, but I think it's pretty amazing that we get to this point in reality. Within 100 years, we've never seen this stuff before. We've never seen these tools before. What? Have we been here, I say, 7,000 years and we've never seen this. You say millions of years and we've never seen this stuff before and you're assuming it's just going to be here in 100 years? That seems a, 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 a perilous forsaking of, of uh, hindsight and foresight. Perilous. So I love my cars. Believe me. I'm, 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 I love having a car. I actually don't really love my cars. I love my Honda Pilot. My Toyota Prius is sufficient for the task, but a little bit emasculating in its mind. Yeah, so um, it does have a Fallout sticker on it. So you can spot me. Um, I don't love the cars because I like to work on them. I don't love the cars because they're my dream cars. They do what they need to do. I'm thankful for the cars. They are sufficient tools. They really help make life different. I don't think cars are actually going to go away. I think we're going to have self-driving cars. But I think that the idea that we could build our communities based on having a car is stupid. Because who knows? Have you been to places where it gets so crowded that the cars are really a waste of time? I have. And they're called cities. And if you live in anything that resembles one and they aren't planning another way of people getting around, then they're either not going to be a city or they're going to be a really crappy city. So how are you going to get your local community to help not have as many cars on the road and have more local ways of getting around? Why? You know, you're right. You don't see people asking that and then they complain about it. And they let the, the market economy put them in these, you know, industrialized suburbs that were just built on a bubble to feed some banks and a giant bailout. And now how do you get anywhere? Well, you pay money to mobile, which means to Islam at the end of the day. <laughs> it's nuts. All right. And I'm not saying I don't care. Don't get me wrong. I don't care about mobile. They do whatever they're going to do. National, international, uh, you know, Shiite and, and Sunni, they're going to do what they're going to do. What I care about is that right here down the street, there's a small level of lawlessness that's, that's I shouldn't say small, there's, a, there's an undercurrent of lawlessness that worries me about my neighbors. I'm talking all the way down to the other side of the city here. And I think Christians would do better to think about that. And if you're going to join a church, you don't have to live there, like right there, but why not? Why not start a town around your church where you all move there? Why Why would that be bad? We don't even think about it. I'm not saying we should do it. Maybe it's a really bad idea, but that we never even think about it. We just assume whatever else, yeah? I mean, is he a king or not? Are we are we on like a different civilization? Civilization? Are we in a different realm? Are we in a different kingdom or not? Like, so anyway, pastors do this, right? And I'm just I'm just not sure that you you don't need to, but to think about it, like, to orient yourself so that when you live your life, your church is is like a major consideration, 
right? Like we're looking at buying a house maybe here and there's things like proximity to grocery stores, proximity to downtown, proximity to, well, we like the country too, freeways, all that stuff. But like, and as a pastor, obviously we're always thinking proximity to church, but, but why is it only something a pastor should think about? Shouldn't everybody think about your proximity to church? And you're assuming that having a car and driving 40 minutes is going to always be available. Now it's great. It's great. I've done it. I've done it. I also know how difficult it is to be really involved when I got to drive to get there. I tried that in St. Louis. That was, that was awful. 35 minute drive to church. I mean, church was great, but like Wednesday night, dear heavens. Oh my. Oh, that was rough. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think it's just about a church, but like caring about your local community, you're not going to change the nation by voting for Trump or what, who's up, who's in front right now, which, which, oh, Bloomberg. Yeah. Right. An actual fight. I haven't looked at that stuff in two weeks. Um, you're not going to change the world by voting for either of those guys. I mean, there's going to be like stuff that happens. It's important. You should vote. But like, you really want to make a difference in your life, your kids' lives. Local politics is it. And honestly, no, if you're smart Lutherans, sorry, I'm talking to Lutherans now. If you're smart Lutherans, you know how open these local politics games are for people who are honest? Like you could totally get on a local seat. Any of you. Try. But you can do it. I think it's hungry. It's full of people who are trying to, either good people like you that want to do something, and then there's people who are trying to climb their way out into like higher levels of politics. And this is just a stepping stone for them. Uh, but I mean, that's where you can win because you're not going to ever leave. You just want to serve at a local level. And you let your neighborhood know that and you got votes, right? And then you can do something about what you care about. Now, am I advocating that you have to do this? No, but look, Lutherans, we don't ever talk about this at all. Do we now? And then we're like, why are we so small and inconsequential? Because we don't do anything for the world. We don't care. We don't engage. We're insular. Cheers. Saturday morning chill. While I'm in the muck with my friends here on live. Live YouTube? I don't know. We got a few minutes still here and... Excuse me. Yeah, okay, yeah. I agree, Dalham. Dalham says, but housing is hard to find near the church and no job potential near the church. Yep, I get it. I'm not telling you it's easy. and I'm not telling you do it. I'm telling you, I think it's weird we don't do it at all, right? We don't think about it. We don't ask. We don't ask. So your life is going to create all sorts of traps for you, things that you cannot get out of. And I'm not saying like, and so you should get out of them. No, 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 no. Like there are humans just like you and me Guys my age, who their life was, they lived in a fishing village. And then there was a guy with a sword. And then they were rowing a boat for three years until they died. That was their life. That's humanity and human history. So I don't think you can go in and sit by that guy on that boat and be like, well, you know, if you would think harder and set better goals and have bigger dreams, you could get off of this slave galley. No, there are things in life you cannot avoid. There are hard things, there are traps that you and your flesh and the world set for you and you simply cannot avoid them. And they come in and they make you in these really hard situations where indeed the answer may be exactly what you're doing. At the same time, the answer may be to ask, is it worth suffering to be a Christian? That might might be a different way of looking at it. Is it worth not having Americanism and having a full-hearted Christian life. Fearless. You know? Because you're not going to do it alone. That fearless Christian thing. I'm not either. So, you know, I don't know. Seems important to me, don't you think? I'm with you, Dollism. Don't quit your day job. Don't just quit. Have a plan. Hope's not a plan. Uh, now, this has got to be something that I don't understand because Zephaniah does not do a podcast. He's been in for a while. <laughs> uh, he has a book, though. should read it. Um, how would you argue against transgenderism? Not sure if that's a real word. Um, Yeah. Oh, I would not burp on purpose. That was gross. Um, look, 
we have two different ways of talking right now. One is for those who are reasonable. They like science. And one is for those who are not reasonable. They say they like science, maybe. But they really don't care. They just want to win. Who am I talking to? Because if I'm talking to uh, the latter, I wouldn't argue at all. I'd just shut up. I'd be like, all right, you are probably a national socialist, actually, in theory. Forget the Jew part, Jew-hating part, the rest of it that leads to hating your enemies and killing them part. And that's scary. That's a scary philosophical political system. So generally, since they don't realize that's actually what they are in a lot of other ways, but when they're aggressively not going to have a conversation about humans, when they say things like transgenderism, they're just going to talk about ideology instead, I don't engage. I have too little time to beat my head against a brick wall for fun. And I would consider talking to someone who is actually a national socialist and thinks national socialism as a philosophical system is valuable and important. And so also actively believes in things like um, eugenic cultural manipulation and engineering. Uh, like I just would rather not engage on a one-on-one -on -one level unless you're going to actually engage. That's the other person. Right, But the person who's just propagandizing what they've been propagandized, stick that needle in the back of Neo's head, and they're just going to believe whatever the Matrix tells them. Look, wait. Don't have the conversation. Be their friend and talk about Star Wars. Until the day that they are in deep human pain and then talk about Jesus. But now, for somebody who cares about actual science like living in the real world like like i i not only believe in the cup and the coffee in the cup but to talk about it but like it's there and i clean it and i can make it and you can drink it because it's, it's real we're not just in plato's world now of dream world we're also not, not plato didn't see it that way but it's sort of like the uh, the transgender movement i was saying before the ideological movement they're like a um they're like a platonic dream world place that if we just dream reality hard enough, it'll replace the reality we see because the real thing's in our heads. Okay? That's Plato. I mean, loosely. Plato's pretty deep. Um, Aristotle, his uh, student, who was kind of his equivalent as well, uh, Aristotle's view is like, well, yeah, you can talk a big talk, but like, what's the, is there coffee or not coffee? Right? Um, and that, so this was the real thing. He would say then there was no ideal. I don't care about that fight as much, but I do care about understanding what kind of conversation you're having so that I live in a world that actually has cups and coffee and not just talks about it. We talk about it too. There's really ideas there, but so we're going to talk about sex. Where is it on the screen? Can I do it right there? We're going to talk about sex, which strangely is missing from this word. Then we're going to talk about science. Forget my Bible. Forget my Bible. I'm going to talk about science. And I'm going to talk about the birds and the bees. I'm talking about babies, how they're made, X and Y chromosomes, um, the natural course of human evolution uh, from early man to present man has all entirely relied upon the very evident naturalistic materialistic big pain chaotic oops it just happened but this is the way it is circumstances of a guy and a girl make a baby and it doesn't matter what you call anything like there's a there's a part and there's a part and they're different and need them both and that's the only way it works. And that's what, see, everybody before the, you know, last hundred years, that's what everyone in the world ever called marriage, more or less. And there's different rules about how we manage it. Like, are you allowed to just do it on your own in a corner with a bunch of people? Or do you have to, like, do it one-on-one -on -one with, like, agreements? Like, societies have disagreed about that. But more or less, we're pretty confident that, like, there's no babies coming out of a guy's parts 
right? So with a reasonable person, that's what I'd be talking about because I think that these other ideas are then strictly um, purple unicorns. I mean, you know, spaghetti monsters in the sky. I mean, it's just cool. You have a neat fantasy world. I have a fun fantasy world too. I like playing in my fantasy world and I sometimes have trouble seeing the line between my fantasy world because if you're not a Christian, you think that King Jesus is a fantasy and all that. So fine, fine. Okay, fine. But like, I got a cup of coffee in it. You got nothing. And and the reasonable person in a conversation about sex will have to acknowledge that. I think you'll find quickly how few people are reasonable at all in this conversation. It's highly emotionally driven. Um, but that's where I'd start. And then if you want to talk the Christian view of why man and woman were not evolved randomly, but were in fact created distinctly for these purposes with great gifts to each other and to the world. Um, well, that's, that's what Christianity teaches. Right? But I'm not going to use that to try to convince you in some sort of debate about, it's, it's a scientific issue. Nobody, when you're trying to breed fruit flies to prove evolution, you're not worried about trans fruit flies. In fact, they would breed out and die so if you are a national socialist, you are going to have to breed out the weakest. You guys are against yourselves. You're setting yourselves up for the government to destroy you. I'm sorry. Left, but you are. Jedi Knight, thank you so much. Super chat. Cringewalker. What a name. Jedi Knight Anakin Cringewalker. Recently discovered Luther's autobiographical fragment. Found it fascinating. I'm not familiar with this. Apparently he made peace with Tetzel. And Tesla may have died a Lutheran. I've never heard this. Never heard this. So, Jedi Knight, you will have to do some digging for that on me. On me. You will have to do some digging for that. You will have to do some digging on that for me. And find out what you know. Um, you can send something through the contact page, of course, because I don't know. You stumped me. You stumped me. It sounds cool. Also sounds like it might be apocryphal. That is just kind of a, a generalized story. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there about Luther that is in that tradition apocryphal realm and some of it's really valuable as a story but it may or may not be factually true um yeah yeah i did ryan says i did a podcast where i modeled a conversation with a transgender individual it was very good i don't remember that i'm curious where that is um carl likes his coffee uh-oh uh-oh dare i say it coffee not pizza oh is that it i'm sorry brian i'm sorry um, Brian says, uh, it is our duty as parents to make sure our children do. Uh, glad to hear you push for Linda, uh, local government. Wonderful way to serve your community. More needed to be on councils. Yeah, amen to that. I'm curious who Brian is responding to. Uh, there we go. No one tries to think about it. So sort of what I've been saying. Yeah, well, isn't this interesting? I find this interesting too, and I'm going to have to go this morning. I'm sorry. It's going to be a short show. Um, like, I'm big on classical education, I think. I'm not real big on Dewey. There's a whole... Oh, I can't find it. Sir Sir, Sir Kenneth... Actually, I can look for this really quick while I'm talking to you. Um, hold on. Let's take half a second. Uh, Kenneth... Come on. I can't type still. Okay. Is it Kenneth Weeding? Um, education... I always have to Google this thing. Ah, Sir Ken Robinson, TED Talk, called Changing Education Paradigms. 2.1 million views. Really well done video. Uh, can I link it in the comments? I probably can't. Hold on. So if you're watching along live, I can even help you out with a link. Can I do it? There it went. So um, now i got to get back to where I can see what I'm doing. All right. So he, he suggests in this video, strictly an education video, that industrialization has destroyed education more or less by destroying the family. Now, he doesn't quite go that far, but it's, it's effectively the end of this. It, this connects then with the Deweyan educational revolution, uh, boxing our children by date, <laughs> right? That they're a vintage uh, based on the year they were born and shoving them through an assembly line into quote unquote educated 
work. This moved us away from the, the classical model, which was in theory all about letting the ancient world teach you how to think. Now, there's been a reaction against this in many homeschool areas and some uh, Christian schooling and others uh, uh, called um, a classical education, which is a move back toward, in theory, the older way. But in my experience, it has been remaining in this mindset that Kenneth Ken uh, Robinson will talk about that uh, education's like a it's like a conveyor belt assembly line preparing good workers for the communist world. I mean, it's, it really is like on the verge of Lenin Lenin's thought in some ways. Uh, that everyone is going to come out exactly the same, as opposed to real classical ed should bring everyone out different. And the, and the reason it does is because it doesn't teach you to know things. It teaches you how to learn things. And this seems to be missing not only from what I've experienced as classical education models usually being pitched, um, uh, but in general from all education in America. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't people who learn how to learn because there are people who hunger for learning and they do learn how to learn, but you have to teach yourself. And that's weird because that's what school should do. It's the only thing school should do is teach you how to learn. And instead, um, no one ever taught us to think. Well, you don't learn if you don't think, right? You got to learn how to think. Uh, and then with learning how to think, you can think about learning how to learn. And you can be just excited about what you're learning and all that. I sound like a weirdo, right? But... Hopefully, the Kenneth Robinson, oh, I did it wrong again. The Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, that video is phenomenal. I watch that about every year or so just to remind myself with my own kids, like, dude, don't, don't ruin their super genius with the paperclip. Now, you have to watch the video. I linked it. Um, you have to watch the video to know what I mean about the paperclip. Don't ruin it because that, that skill set is the one thing a computer, AI, ain't ever going to do. We got a unique, no, oh, oh, that's me. There we go. We got a uniqueness about us as humans the AI can't handle, and we need to be very careful uh, because we do not want to um, destroy in our children their unique human potential by trying to make them act like computers when the computers are going to be doing those jobs. We don't need the assembly line humans the same way. We need thinkers. We need learners, and anybody can learn. They just have to discover what they want to know. Um, so Kevin Sola, thank you so much for the super chat. Uh, thanks for another great stream. You are welcome. I appreciate you liking my short catastrophe. Jedi Knight, Anakin comes back with a cringe walker super chat. He says postmodernism over deconstructs. Amen. I know Buddhism has, I don't know this, Tabala Rasa that limits deconstruction. I don't know much about that either. You are a very intelligent Jedi to call yourself Anakin because Anakin is a young malleable and dark-minded whiny brat uh, who ends up being Darth Vader. And so um, I guess Vader was knowledgeable. I have trouble believing... I'm sorry, a tangent. I have trouble believing Anakin was knowledgeable because the movies, he just wasn't, by and large, wise in any way. But Vader, man, that guy was quick. He knew what he was doing. So, all right. Buddhism has Tabala Rasa. Okay. That limits deconstruction. Do we have something like that in our tradition we can use to vaccinate against over deconstruction right yeah the creed is called the it's called the rule of faith it's called the rule of faith and the idea is that christianity is sufficient for itself without us having to prove its objectivity because it's jesus christianity and the baptismal formula of the old roman symbol that eventually became the apostles creed first several hundred years of use, baptismal formula, effectively, um, that it is so complete as a, uh, a universal description of Jesus Christianity that you, you can't deconstruct it without deconstructing existence, which in that regard, I mean, you're not going to stop some loon from deconstructing existence and believing he lives in the millionth and first alternate universe that he just created weird timelines because he did something wrong or whatever like you can't you're not gonna stop that but in terms of your own self your own intellect like no it's really simple something happened in history and it's it's kind of hard to hide it you can find it it impacted history on a global level in a way that really doesn't make sense for a weird sectarian cult in the desert of judea like that doesn't make any sense and and so you can't, I can't just deconstruct under Pontius Pilate at the end of the day without saying that history doesn't exist 
the world doesn't exist. And if that's what you got to do to keep your religion going, it's just like, well, maybe we don't exist. Okay, well, you have fun with that. You don't have any coffee in your cup. And see, you'll turn around and you'll do what you really believe rather than what you just said, and you'll confess what you believe by what you do. So, you know, what do we have? We have the creed, I would say. We also just have, um, uh, in the creed, the first article, maker of heaven and earth, means it's made, it's done, it's there, there's rules, it doesn't change, it's sustained, it can be understood. Um, so all of postmodernism is an attempt to over-deconstruct. Effectively, what the, what the postmodern deconstruction does is it discovered Babel. It's like, oh, look, human language is confused. Why did no one know this before? It clearly wasn't written in the Bible, like in the first couple of chapters. No. <laughs> right? So they discover Babel, and then they decide, oh, Babel exists. We're all confused and don't speak to each other well. Therefore, there's no truth. Therefore, there's no reality. Okay, wait a minute. Wait, wait. God confused your language, and you think that gives you the right because you can't explain stuff to like say nothing exists? What kind of idiots are we? How insularly, I'm talking about humanity now, head up your backside, belief in your own vanity, and your ability to outthink God. What on earth? Morons? Us? Us? <laughs> so, ah, it's not. Colds. It's gross. So, you're not going to stop pagans from paganing. What you can do is know that, yes, we do. First off, the Creator is. His Son, Jesus Christ, is. His Spirit is. These things do not require us to believe them or understand them for them to re remain realities. And then they do their own thing, and their own thing is to break into our reality and fix it. And from the earliest times, the statements of the Roman symbol turned Apostles' Creed has been the universally accepted summary of that unassailable reality, the rule of faith. Now, you can say, well, what about Scripture? Yeah, you're right. Scripture was there being preached and then written and then collected and then canonized during the time when the rule of faith was substantially reigning over baptism as entry into the church. And then you got to believe gradually as the Nicene Creed is pushed into the same kind of rule over the Lord's Supper practice um, that there was already something going on in the Lord's Supper practice, like unto the creed, even if there was not a baptism that very day. People were confessing what they believed. And the universal confession, the acknowledged, I mean, the creed comes about, Apostles' Creed comes about late, not because they wrote it then. They acknowledged it then. This is being used everywhere. Without us necessarily planning it, God did this. <coughs> With the Bible, with the words, right? We began to universally respond. So could could a mod, postmodernist try to deconstruct that with a bunch of um, kind of local Wikipedia facts loosely strung together to support their worldview? Yeah, of course they could. But that's just it. They're, they don't have anything to deconstruct from. That's the other thing to maybe keep in mind, Jedi Knight. They have no platform other than chaos. Their platform is chaos. So it's like, well, good luck with that. Stand in name quicksand. You have fun. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to say you cannot deconstruct history that actually happened. You can deconstruct how we talk about it. But if that guy rose from the dead, man, I don't care what you say. You lose. So you go ahead and outthink it all you want. You know, um, I'm not arguing against it anymore because I think it's pretty evident. And um, long live the king. See what I just did there, though? we got to get better at this. I didn't play the game. How do you deconstruct? How do you handle my, my amazing deconstruction of your paltry Christian belief in the resurrection? Based on your own mind's inability to understand reason and words and truly come to context and understanding of, you know, relative factors connecting you to the network of history and your blindness as a pawn in the deep, dark, existential crisis that is life and America. Yeah. Long live the king. That's how I deconstruct it. Right back at you.
right back at you. I got to run to a meeting. I promise I fixed it. It shouldn't happen next week at this time, but we're all going to be short. Thank you for all the extra super chats today. Newsletter, do it. Do it. Without flesh, do it. Patreon, please do it. Podcast is continuing to come, and I have it on my schedule to get you some Daniel. I'm going to get you some Daniel. I promise. I swear. I've decided that of all the goals for which I'm destroying my conscience and telling myself I'm not good enough for achieving them, one of the most important to you is Daniel. I can do it. It's like five chapters left. We can do it. So that is, just just so you know, it's out there. It's out there. It's in my head. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for everything else. What else? What else? I got to go. I'm just going to leave it at that. You guys rock. It's too short. It's too short. Saturday morning chill. We'll be back next week. Yes, yes. Back next week, 8.30. <sighs> I want to end it well, but I'm just going to go. Don't wall in the muck, my friends. Yeah, rock on.